Um, our church verse for the year is Luke 2:52, and Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. So that's our church verse for the year, and we're going to use that as a foundation to talk about growth. In fact, we're in uh, the title of our series. It's called Solid Growth. Everybody say Solid Growth. And that's kind of what we're looking at. That You know, it's the beginning of the year, and many of us start out with New Year resolutions, or we really have a desire to move from where we are to where God wants us to be. So, but one of those things, the challenge was to have a verse of the year for you personally. And so Sarah shared hers, mine is Psalm 62, and my soul rests in God alone, my salvation comes from him. And so that's the first part of the verse. I haven't memorized the second part yet. But I've been really kind of meditating on that. And so Sarah shared hers. I wonder, has anyone else come up with a verse of the year? What is your verse? Um, my verse is Psalm. Well, first come on up front. Okay. <laughs> tell us what your verse is. And, and, and um, someone else, if you have one, uh, tell us what, the, and what it is and just what God's saying to you. Okay, so everybody knows that I'm a little hard-headed and stubborn sometimes. My name's Denise, Denise Landon, sorry. And so Psalm 34, 19. Wait, 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 back it up, back it up. Everybody knows what? That I'm a little hard-headed and stubborn oh, oh, sometimes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so, Terry, you're right there with me, stop it. Um, so Psalm 34, 19, because I've always seemed to go the hard way, the hard path in life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him from them all. So that's kind of actually been a life verse for me mm-hmm. because I have been through so much as a little one to now. And, you know, we all have our own trials and tribulations that we go through and remembering that we need to cling to God because he's the one that pulls us through, not ourselves. So the afflictions and the, the turmoil and the things that we go through, um, that's our growing ground, which kind of entails our yearly verse for the church, uh-huh. that we're to grow in God and in man, but through the Spirit. And Good. So Psalm 34, 19 speaks to me Great. very personally. Thank you, Denise. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Verse for the year. Yes. Come on up, Terry. Mine is um, 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Mm. Yeah. And, and because we've had some changes and some stumbling and some you know odd, weird things, I feel like as a ministry, we need to, to create a new covenant with ourselves, with each other, and with God, that we're going to go forward from what's been going on and, and go into a new direction together. Amen. In God. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's give uh, Terry and, and Denise a hand. I'm sure there's some others. And we've got one more. All right. Come on up, Dave. This is not merely Women's Day. Thank you. Gracious. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking. Go ahead, Dave. Did you know that? (laughs) Uh, After my retirement from the military and after my uh, thoroughly exciting 12 years as a junior high school teacher, 
I went into business for myself as an internet marketer. And I've been in this business for two years, and the Lord has promised just overwhelming wealth. And I keep asking him, when, is it? Lord? Yeah, come on, the promise is good. Well, I was having devotions early this year. That's not the only time I have devotions. But Isaiah 45, 2 and 3. Just slap me in the face. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you will know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Well, I sent out 350 emails to dentists. I got responses to 150. Ten of those, no, 30 of those are two or more openings. This week, I have two appointments, and I still have to cover the rest. So I am glad that the Lord's opening the funnel, the, the riches in the dark places. Thank you, Dave. Excellent. Excellent. So as the weeks move on, let's share with one another what God is saying. My iPad is doing something screwy here. I saw this, and it's Prayer of an Anonymous Abbess. Um, Those of you who saw um, Sound of Music, Mother Superior, an abbess works with, lives in a nunnery and, and supervises the nuns. Here's a prayer. It, it really spoke to me. It goes like this. Lord, thou knowest better than myself that I am growing older and will soon be old. Keep me from becoming too talkative and especially from the unfortunate habit of thinking that I must say something on every subject at every opportunity. Release me from the idea that I must straighten out other people's affairs with my immense treasure of experience. It seems a pity not to let everybody partake of it, but thou knowest, Lord, that in the end, I will need a few friends. (laughs) Keep me from the recital of endless details. Give me wings to get to the point. Grant me the patience to listen to the complaints of others. Help me to endure them with charity, but seal my lips on my own aches and pains. They increase with the increasing years, and my inclination to recount them is also increasing. I will not ask thee for improved memory, only for a little more humility and less self-assurance when my own memory doesn't agree with that of others. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally I may be wrong. Keep me reasonably gentle. I do not have the ambition to become a saint. It is so hard to live with some of them. But a harsh old person is one of the devil's masterpieces. Make me sympathetic without being sentimental. Sentimental, Helpful, but not bossy. Let me discover merits where I had not expected them and talents in people whom I had not thought to possess any. And Lord, give me the grace to tell them so. Amen. So that's uh, talking about growth is words of wisdom from a person approaching that age. Here's some words of wisdom from some of our younger friends. 
Never trust a dog to watch your food. Patrick, age 10. <laughs> when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. <laughs> Michael, 14. If you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. <laughs> Naomi, 15. Uh, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. Joel, age 10. And uh, I like this one. This is the last one from Eileen, age 8. Never try to baptize a cat. <laughs> so let's stand together and repeat our verse for the year. It's Luke 2:52, And let's say it together. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's say it together with power and conviction. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The word of God for the people of God. Before you take your seat, give the person next to you a high five and say, get ready, get ready. You may be seated. So what is the context for this verse? Well, we know that Jesus had just completed his bar mitzvah. And in Jewish culture, when a young man turns 12, he goes through a ceremony where in the eyes of the community, he is now a man. And it's a watershed moment in Jesus' life. A major milestone. And so I've named this series Solid Growth because this is a watershed moment in the life of our church. By the way, uh, Marie Christine and Joe Alicio's uh, mother, Mika, had surgery on Tuesday and it was a serious seven-hour surgery and God brought her through and she's doing well and we want to continue praying for her. Amen. So we're in a watershed moment in our church community. Um, a seminal change is taking place. I was listening to a report this week on the news about um, Fox Television, Entertainment Division. And it's a change in their programming. And actually, it's a sea change in television programming in general. For example... One of the top shows this year on ABC is a program called Scandal. And it features an African-American woman as the lead character, Carrie Washington. Now, what's happening in terms of this sea change is Hollywood has moved from a primarily white male dominance in terms of lead characters. And they have moved to a tableau of diverse actors and actresses. But the leader in this sea change is actually Fox, which is very surprising because Fox is not known for its sensitivity around cultural issues. <laughs> A recent UCLA study found that even though racial and gender diversity in television program remains appallingly low, more diverse shows bring higher audiences while less diverse ones struggle. 
So at this year's annual Fox Broadcasting Confab title, Seizing Opportunities, I love that word, Seizing Opportunities, the underlying theme was more diversity equals more money. Hmm. Sadly, the church is usually the last to notice these cultural changes and therefore miss the opportunity to be on the cutting edge in reaching more people for Christ with outside-the-box thinking and innovative approaches to sharing and demonstrating the love of Christ. Today, the American church reflects the yesterday of America wedded to its cultural norms. Instead of prophesying to the culture, we have reflected it. Today, still, at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, is still the most racist hour of the week in American churches. In the predominant, predominant church setting, we have mostly all Anglo churches, mostly all black churches, mostly all Asian churches, mostly all Latin churches. But the tableau that God had in mind when he created the body of Christ to reflect all of his people coming together, worshiping together, loving together, is strangely missing. And the reason for that, in fact, church growth, the principles of church growth is built on what's called the homogeneous unit principle, which says people are more comfortable when you group them in their own cultural settings. Therefore, if you want to build a big and successful church, focus on one particular group and invite that group to come together. And what, that's what the American church looks like. But I have a question to ask you. Since when did Jesus call us to be comfortable? In fact, what Jesus did when he came on the scene with a zeal and passion, he preached the message that upset the status quo. We're actually supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> In order to do this, we need more men and women like the people of Issachar. So look at this verse with me. It's in 1 Chronicles 12. And it says this, these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones, right-handed or left-handed. They were relatives of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. And this is what the text says about the men of Issachar. The men from Issachar were men who understood the time and knew what Israel should do. So, this is a watershed, seminal, pivotal time in our church. We're at a crisis point. I've been told that the word crisis, the Chinese characteristics for crisis, is both danger and opportunity. The danger is to look back and say, I want to go back to the good old days. But the opportunity is to take the next step and move forward. It takes a risk to take the next step 
and move forward. I just met a beautiful couple this morning who just got married on Christmas Eve. Joseph and Holly, is that right? Oh, New Year's Eve, I'm sorry. And that takes a risk to take that step. You might know someone, you might have met, and you're thinking, this is something I believe I should do, but do I have the commitment and the courage and the strength to take that next step? And so I'm challenging each of us as we face these times that we're in. This is a seminal time for our church. And God is saying, this is an opportunity. Don't look back. Let's look forward. I have a song that I taught us, which I'm not going to go through and sing it right now. But he did not bring us out this far to take us back again. He brought us out to take us into the promised land. And so we're at this seminal point. Now, you say, well, Pastor Henry, what are you talking about? Well, what's going on here right now is a God thing. I'm looking at our church this morning, the people who are seated, seated here. But we represent just here this morning all kinds of cultures, ages, genders, experiences. Some of us thinking about starting business, some in business, some have no business. <laughs> We're all different places. And yet, at this moment, it's not an accident that we're here right now. It's an opportunity that God has given us. I mean, it's a God thing. I mean, think about this. I didn't ask to come here. I didn't. You didn't send for me. God did it. I had no idea 15 months ago that we would be here right now. As far as I was concerned, it was a 10-month call to help a church in transition, and things happen, and here we are at this vortex, at this crisis point, seminal change. What are we going to do? Well, we get our cues from Scripture. Once you recognize that God set this up, he arranged the circumstances in your life. The challenges that you face right now are a part of God's plan to strengthen you, to give you an opportunity to trust him and take the next step. Then it's time to get down to business. You know what? Here is Jesus, back to the text. This is a seminal time in his life, a watershed time, and he's actually declaring to his parents that he's on a mission. Mommy and daddy, I'm no longer Mary's baby boy, but I've got a mission. And I know that you thought I should be traveling with you, but my mission was to be in my father's house, and I'm doing what God created me to do. We're no longer just River 47 Church doing our cute river thing and gathering a few people on Sunday and helping a few more people on Monday. No, we're getting ready to step into new waters. Everybody shout, new waters. New waters. But notice this with Jesus. Jesus' first response after his declaration is found in Luke 2, 
51. Now, I said this is a watershed moment in the life of the church, and there are two ways to look at our current situation. We can focus on what looks like terrible circumstances. Terry alluded to that. Thank you, Terry, for sharing your, vo- your verse and making that application. You know, we've had some hurt people. We have people leave and confused, and we have some new people coming, and things are not the way they used to be. So we can focus on what looks like, what's going on here? What's caused division in our church? Oh, blah, blah. Or we can ask the question, key question for the morning. Key question for the morning. What is God trying to tell me about my life, my choices, my habits, my relationships, how I spend my money? I was so thrilled a couple of weeks ago when the Davenport twins came up and shared with us. Thank you, girls, for being courageous enough to do that. Now, I can't remember. I get them confused whether it was Sarah or Christina. But when she was giving the testimony about the fact that she walks home from school and during that walk, she has taken the opportunity Instead of just whistling or putting her iPod on or having mindless conversations with other people, she has committed herself to praying. And in the process of praying, God has been speaking to her. And thank you for sharing your journey with us because we're all on a journey. How is God speaking to us? And it's having a dramatic impact on her life choices, the power of prayer. And so the key question of how is God speaking to me is important because of Luke 2.52 that says, and Jesus grew in stature and wisdom and in favor with God. By the way, let me throw in a commercial here. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at those things because we're going to look at growth spiritually, physically, financially, relationally. But one of the fun things that we get to do is look at how God speaks to us and talks to us about favor. What does favor mean? I think Dave was alluding to that when he was talking about his internet business. If you're in business, you need favor with the public. Well, God has some specific things to say to us about what favor is, how we get it, how we use it, and how we grow from it. You'll not want to miss a Sunday as we delve into favor. You say, well, pastor, what Sunday is that? I'm not telling you. (laughs) But just come and see. So he says, Jesus says, I have to be about my father's business. And the next line is, and I love this. Then, this is Luke 2.51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them And was obedient to them. Everybody say obedient. Obedience is the groundwork, the foundation, the fundamental principle that you and I have to embrace if we're going to grow in God. To be obedient. Mm. So when we look at these things, obedience has to be something that we have embraced. So to bring clarity to this question of obedience, let's go to Luke 2, 923. 
Luke 9, 23, it says this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's repeat that together. Luke 9, 23. Let's say it. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So it was the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth, and as he was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Mark tells us that Jesus saw Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were fishing. They were fishing, doing the ordinary things that fisher people do, hanging out there with the fish on the water. And Jesus calls out to the pair of brothers and says, come and follow me. That same day in verse 19, two more brothers, James and John, were also fishing. I think it's interesting that Jesus very strategically deals with people in families. If you're here in a family group, it's not just you, but it's you and your spouse. It's not just you, but it's you and your children. It's not just you, but it's you and your grandchildren. God seems to use frequently people in family groups. And it is important that you not only take a step of faith and obedience to God, but the people that you love and care about are also taking that step forward in God. Everybody shout with me. Step forward. And so Jesus calls those two pairs of brothers. At a later date, he also calls Levi, called Matthew, who was sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus calls to Matthew. Jesus' call to all was the same. Come, follow me. And in each case of these men who were called, immediately left what they were doing to follow Jesus. So here's the big question we want to ask and answer out of Scripture. What does it mean to be obedient to the call of God on your life? A few things I want to leave with you. Number one, it's a call to fellowship with him. It's a call to first fellowship. Now, some of us want to get real busy doing stuff for God, and that's a good thing. But the first call is not to do stuff for God but to walk with him. The Bible tells us that he ordained 12 that he might be with them. That something happens when we hang out with one another. Have you ever noticed how couples who've been married a long time start looking like each other? <laughs> they just, they're hanging out together. Fellowship. Two fellows in the same ship. We're, we're, we're together. We, we start thinking. We start impacting one another. And uh, humanly speaking, opposites attract. And so it's those opposite things in one another that attract, just like this beautiful couple right here. You see something in her, she sees something in you, and you are attracted to that. And the very same things that attract you one or two years down the road is going to get on your last nerve. <laughs> But fellowship is staying together long enough to work it through and experience the joy. Luke 9 and 10, I love this, Luke 9, 10 and 11. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. They had just finished you know, the miracles of feeding 5,000 and healing people and all that. 
And the text tells us that Jesus took the posse with him and they withdrew. And by themselves, they spent time. I'm going to ask you a question. How much time are you spending with Jesus? Talking to him. Being in his presence. Praying. I told you this joke before. It is a joke, but it's so appropriate. There was a guy who was a new believer and he met Christ and he heard his pastor say, ask anything in my name and it will be done. And so one day he was downtown on a business errand and he got into his car to go to the next stop and the battery was dead. Click. He said, oh, my pastor said, if I ask anything in Jesus name, it will be done. Lord, I need you to start this car because you know I got this appointment. In Jesus name, Lord, start it up. Click. Nothing happened. He shouted a little, Lord, I know you didn't hear me the first time. I need you to start this car now. Click, nothing happened. He did it three times. Nothing happened. Next Sunday, he went to church. He said, Pastor, you told me if I ask anything in Jesus' name, it would be done. I was downtown. He told him what happened. Nothing happened. I'm disappointed, Pastor. Pastor said, son, uh, how much time do you spend with Jesus every day? Uh, Do you spend 15 minutes praying and talking to him? Well, no, no, not 15 minutes. What, do you spend 10 minutes every day talking to Jesus, looking in the word? Well, no, not 10 minutes. Do you spend five minutes a day talking and fellowshipping with Jesus? No, not five minutes. He said, well, how much time do you spend? Well, maybe two minutes every other day. He said, I know your problem. Jesus heard your prayer, but he didn't recognize your voice, and he started up somebody else's car. (laughs) When we spend time with him, the first step in obedience, the Bible says, my sheep know my voice, and they obey me. And when you spend time with him, time in his word, time talking to him, and then he talks to us, we develop the foundation for obedience. Hmm. They immediately followed Jesus. I wonder what it was about Jesus that made them respond without hesitation. Well, we follow Jesus today because we know what he did for us on Calvary. But suppose somebody walked up to you and said, listen, I got a plan. I want you to follow me. Come right now. Would you? I don't think so. (laughs) But there was something about Jesus. Think about it. He did not tell them where they were going or what they were going to do. There must have been something about Jesus that made them respond immediately, no questions asked. At once, when Jesus called them to follow, these men left their nets, their tax collector booth, and followed. What was Jesus calling them to? Yes, he was calling them to physically follow, but he was calling them to fellowship with him. The disciples and Jesus became good friends. Good friends. For three years, they were constant companions. Do you know him and does he love, does he know you? Secondly, the call to obedience is the call to believe in him as their savior. He has the answer. Look at Luke 5, 1 through 6. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little further from shore. 
Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Catch the nuance here. We're fishermen. This is what we do for a living. You're a preacher. You preach and we'll fish. We've been at this all night. But look at what the text says next. But because you say so. Oh, I've been fellowshipping with him. I've been hanging out with him. Because Jesus, you said so. I recognize that I'm in a difficult situation. I've been working all night and no results. Lord, you're my savior. So you say to let down the nets one more time, even though I'm thinking, oh, I've been, I've been in this business for 10 years. I've been in this relationship for three years. I know what I'm doing. I've seen it before. I've worn all the T-shirts. And yet, God, you're telling me to make this step. You're telling me to confess my faults to the significant person in my life. Lord, I don't want to do that. They're liable to take me to the cleaners. Uh, you're telling me to forgive the person? What? With all the stuff that I've experienced and the hurt that I have in my life, I'm just supposed to forget it and forgive it and forget about it? Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? But Lord, because you say so. Lord, you told me. I heard it in my spirit. You woke me up in a dream and said, call that person on the phone and say, I'm sorry. No explanation. Just say, I'm sorry. And what can I do to make it up to you? Lord, but she didn't call. She didn't <laughs> But Lord, because you say so, I, I got to listen to that man. He doesn't go to church all the time. He's not faithful in his responsibility to me. God said, but he's your husband. Respect him. Call him to a higher standard because you believe in him. Lord, I got to listen to my parents. They're making a mess of their life. I got to listen to that. Yeah, they're your parents. Obey your parents and the Lord for this is the right thing. Lord, but, okay, but Lord, have you seen, Lord, okay, but Lord, you said obey? Okay. Do I have to have explanations before I obey, Lord? God said, no, obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Growing up, <laughs> my father used to chastise me. Actually, what he was doing was giving me a whooping. He'd take his big long belt out and he'd say, Henry, obedience is better than sacrifice. <laughs> and I'm doing this, pow, because I love you. Obedience. Obedience. Number three, the call to obedience. It's a call to fellowship. It's a call to trust him as Savior. It's a call to commitment. I'm in. Luke 5. 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. Verse 11, here's the key verse. So they pulled their nets, boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. They said, Lord, I'm in. You called, you showed me. I met the Messiah, I'm in. Whatever he says, I'll do it. Whatever he tells me to say, I'll say it. Wherever he leads, I'll follow. I'm in. I'm committed. Number four, Jesus was also calling them to new territory. Everybody say new territory. territory. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Fish for people. You know, I love that image of when I was going to church Evangelists would say, God wants you to be a fisher of men. And I always had that image in my mind of going out and snatching people with a hook and pulling them in. Jesus called them fishers of men because that's what they did. They were fishermen. See, whatever you do, whatever your passion is, He wants you to use that to influence people with the gifts, with your job, with your perspective. He was calling them to new jobs. He was inviting them to leave the comfort zone of the familiar waters of the Sea of Galilee to go places they had never been before. Jesus was calling them to new jobs new tasks. He was beckoning them to do things they had never done before. Now, I'm sure they were uneasy that day when the seemingly madman, demonic, possessed man came out of the tombs all bloody from cutting himself with stones, screaming, blood, courage, screams. That is until Jesus sent the demons into a herd of pigs. Whoa. I'm sure the disciples felt uncomfortable beside the bedside of a young dead girl and her mourning parents. They were in new territory. I wonder if they watched with Wonder if Jesus fed the multitudes. They were in new territory. I wonder if they ever felt like saying as they watched Jesus, I'll never be able to serve people like that. I've never done this kind of thing before. Remember, I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a tax collector. I'm just a secretary. I just drive a bus. I'm only in high school. I... I'm just a housewife. I can't do that. But God calls us to new territory. To be obedient to his call. Next, it's a call to service to God and service to others. John 21, 17. A third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said to them, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's a call of service. It's a call of love. It's a call to stretch out. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Next, Jesus calls each of us daily to follow him. Daily. It's an everyday call. Let me wrap it up with this observation. In Mark 8, Jesus and his disciples were walking along the road, and Jesus made the same call he made to the disciples to two other men that day. 
Follow me, he called. But these two men's response was not the same as the fishermen and the tax collector. They, were, they responded, I will follow you, Jesus, but first. You remember that? First, I got to bury my father. First, I got to go home and take care of business. First, I have to grow up. First, I have to make some money. First, I have to get this partner. First, I have to get this new job. First, I have to get healthy. First, whatever. Lord, I'm going to follow. Lord, I believe in everything you say, but Lord, there's a few things I got to get straightened out in my life first, and then I'll follow you. They were believers, but they accepted him, but they had issues. <laughs> Jesus calling us to follow is first a call of belief. It's a call to accept him as Savior, to seek his forgiveness. But many of us, it ends right there because we don't take the next step. As I close right now, what is Jesus calling you to do? What is that next step? Worship team, I'm going to ask you to come up right now. I don't know where you are in your life, in your destiny. But some of us know the truth, but we fail to take the next step. We're not obedient. We don't follow. You know, I have people who've come to my office and they'll say, Pastor, this is what I'm dealing with and this is where I am. And, and what do you think about this? And I will open the word of God and say, well, you know, God says this, do this. And then they start arguing with me. <laughs> but you don't understand. <laughs> or they'll say, Pastor, thank you very much for your input in my life. And then they go on and do what they were doing before. They don't follow. You say, well, why should we have to follow you? Are you God? No, I'm not God, but God places people in your life who speak to you through them. Let me tell you something. You know who the people are in your life that God will speak to you through? Those who are closest to you. Your spouse. I am so grateful for a godly woman in my life. You know, the Bible says when you found a good woman, you found a good thing. And she is challenging me to grow. Now, when she does challenge me, and she does, believe me, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to hear it. But then later on, when I see the fruit of it, I always come back to Kathy and I say, honey, thank you so much for speaking the truth to me. I gave you this example, but, and it may be small, but it could be big. Because when God speaks to us, and the first thing out of our mouth is, I can't, you are smacking God in the face. We were having French toast. And I said, French toast or pancakes, don't fix it for me. Because when I have French toast or pancakes, I just can't have a little syrup. I have to have a lake of syrup. <laughs> and I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm just not having any at all. Notice my words. I have to have. 
She said that to me for years, and that's been my response. No, I, I just won't eat them because if I do, I have to. I do. The last time she said that to me is, you do have to? And I don't know why it registered then and not before. And God said to me, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you about your discipline. You say you want to be more responsible in weight loss and in take care of yourself. And I'm speaking to you through your spouse. Deal with it, Henry. And I change from I can't to, okay, God, I hear you. And I will. Now, here will be the test. And you can ask Kathy about this. When she has French toast, she takes the toast and she dips it in the butter and a little bit of syrup. And then she eats it. I don't know if I can do that or not. <laughs> but I think I can. I've owed my spirit to it. Because I want to grow. I don't want to stay where I've been. Age has nothing to do with it. It's obedience that has everything to do with my growth. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts that when you call we'll obey not excuses but to say yes Lord I'll follow you I'll do what you say I'll go where you tell me to go I'll listen to your voice through the people who you put in my life to instruct me and care for me. Lord, I'll do it. Now, our heads are bowed right now. I want you to do two things. As our heads are bowed, the first thing I want you to do is to say this prayer, and you can say it silently with me. Lord, I've been doing it my way. And I recognize it hurts you. It hurts me. But Lord, I want to grow in faith in my knowledge of you. And I'm willing to say yes to you. Yes to your will. And yes to your way. Now, keep your heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer, in the next 60 seconds, I'm going to ask you to come to the front and stand here with your head bowed. Because when I say amen in the prayer that I'm about to pray, I want to release his blessing in your life. I'm not going to ask you what you're standing here for. It's between you and God. But wherever you are on that journey of faith. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, really. You've gone through the motions. But you're not in fellowship with him because you're not obedient to him. You use all kinds of excuses. 
You're saying, Lord, I, I don't want to continue to do that. I want to grow with you. And if you are praying that prayer, I invite you to take a step. You say, well, Pastor, why do I have to come up here? Because you don't have to. But everything that Jesus did, he did publicly. Everything that's important to you, you do publicly. Marriage, you do it publicly. And we're at a seminal place in our life, in a church life, and in your life. And let this be an opportunity to say yes to God's will. We're going to sing a beautiful worship song right now. And as we sing it, and I'm going to ask Dave to lead us in this song, I want you to simply come. Everybody stand with me right now. And Dave, lead us in that song. And we'll just take 60 seconds. I invite you to come stand right here. And then I want to pray for you. You are standing, Lord, because we need you. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters who stand here with me who are willing to take that next step of obedience. They say, Lord, we, we trust you. We love you and we're listening to your voice. And we take that next step in faith, knowing that faithful is he who calls, who will do it in us and through us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We bless you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we bless you. I'm going to ask us, those of us who are standing here and in, in our rest of our congregation, just open your hands like this. Lift your hands to the Lord. These are blessing hands right now. Lord, we lift our hands to you in surrender. <laughs> Asking you to use these hands to be a blessing to others. In the name of Jesus. We receive what you have for us right now. We thank you. We honor your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now bless the person next to you. And say these are blessing hands right now. Bless you. Bless you.